You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. A kiss, as defined by Dan Webster, is something pleasing, a caress, a gentle touch. But there's another kiss that isn't in Webster's. Hey world, we're kids! Some critics say they don't make music, they just make noise. Yeah, kiss! Kiss implies the extreme in the theatrics on stage, utilizing fire and smoke and bizarre costumes and the ever-consistent, constant concealment of their true identities. Speaking of which, Kiss is going to have its own comic book soon. Take Kiss with you. It's fun. Show your friends and be the first. Now. And welcome once again to No Time to Turn, a Kiss nerd podcast nerds yup that is us once again i am russ i'm joined by cap and alex from the something good for you podcast hello Hello. and we are tracking the history of kiss album by album year by year we are into the year 1982 really it's now we're kind of crossing over years they're kind of going to go through a cycle where their stuff comes out every fall and so we'll be kind of in one into one at the end of one year and leading into the next so this is really 82 through spring of 83 because mm-hmm. this all really kind of kicks off july 82 but but we need to kind of backtrack a little bit because we didn't cover this on the last episode and this is a very important thing that happens early in 1982 in the spring may 8th neil bogart dies of cancer and he's only 39 years old and you know we really can't We'd, we'd be remiss not to, to mention this, but just for how ty, titanic of a, of a presence or whatever you want to call yeah. it. I mean, to have the relationship that they had with Neil Bogart and Casablanca is you just can't understate that. Yeah. Because they were basically given carte blanche. And I, and, and I also say this to show the, uh, the um, dichotomy with the relationship they will have with Polygram, which they will not enjoy. <laughs> no, <laughs> but um, you know he uh, he really helped to establish Kiss as a as a as a presence. And um, by this point, he had left. Of course, we talked about him leaving Casablanca and yeah. how important he was to that key man clause that they had, which allowed them to renegotiate their recording contract yeah. and give a really really sweet deal. Yeah. Big time. And of course now Polygram are feeling kind of like sold a bill sold a bad bill of goods so to speak because Kiss has ever since been failed to deliver. Yeah. Um meanwhile Neil Bogart went on to form Boardwalk Records and um he signed Joan Jett from the Runaways, mm-hmm. after she had been rejected by like twenty, famously rejected by like twenty-eight different labels or something, right. and then has a surprise Runaway hit with her cover of an old Arrows song called yeah. "I Love Rock and Roll." He also signs Night Ranger and does their first album. Okay, I didn't know but, that. But I mean, yeah, we snicker, but that gave him uh, success with yeah. rock acts that he had not previously had because Casablanca had been so heavily reliant on disco acts. Yeah. So it's interesting to consider what his place going forward from here would have been had he had he survived. What would his presence have been in the 1980s music marketplace? Oh yeah, and I hate to use the word marketplace, but that's essentially what 
That's what know. the 80s turned into. It was well, definitely Well, it's the, what it was already, and that's what Neil Burgart really did best. Yeah. Um, and, you know, considering Kiss's tumultuous relationship with, with Polygram, you know, would they, could they, should they have ever jumped back to boardwalk to boardwalk to be with neil bogart again that would have been interesting interesting little what if side storyline and we'll we'll touch back on this towards the end of this program but uh we'll we'll wait to the to that point um we've talked a little bit in the last episode because this sort of blurs together now Mm -hmm. they they the the recording sessions that they started that became the songs that were on kiss killers are also kind of the this is an extension of that whole process yeah because they're also auditioning guitar players at the same time. Uh, this is basically recorded over the summer of 1982. And, of course, they, Michael James Jackson, who we talked a little bit about in the previous episode, uh, he's co-producing with Gene and Paul and with a number of different engineers because they're trying to work right <laughs> cheaply and as efficiently as they can. And, and the other little side thing always find funny to this is... Um in Paul's book, his his first recollection of um, Michael James Jackson was he boldly proclaimed to the band that they should just write a hit. Gee, why didn't I think of that? Yeah, and he's like, well, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> and then shortly after, they had like a philosophical talk about life. And, you know, they started connecting on other musical influences. And then you know, he was saying, like, but very bold of him to just come out the gate like that. <laughs> well, they didn't write a hit. No. So they didn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Arguably, there is a song on this record that's still played to this day. Yeah, but that doesn't make it a quote-unquote hit. I'm just saying it. Not, not, they're getting ready to really kind of volley forth into what I call their Spinal Tap tour. Yeah. I mean, everything they do, everything they do over the next, over the course of the next year and a half is pretty much Spinal Tap. You no know, and, and and I hate to say that, but it's just if you look well, at it, they may they've already coming out of the gate. We talked, we cl- I guess we closed the last episode about this whole blunder that they did with Polygram. They sued Polygram, yeah, and lost. And not only did they lose big, they lost out because they could have taken a bigger settlement than what they ended up winning. And they were, you know, they were opening <laughs> for people that missed it. They were hoping for a six and a half, six point seven million something million settlement plus punitive damages, and they got five. 120 grand yeah and that had to be <laughs> split like like seven different ways or something mm-hmm. and they were and that's after turning down a million dollar settlement from polygram right before they go to trial so now all they've done is you know they've they've jerked on the chain of their of their guess, record label yeah they're i was going to say their masters you know because they've enjoyed this kind of like i said this relationship with the with casablanca and neil bogart where they basically were given freedom to do what they felt like was best Mm -hmm. and now polygram's going no now you're going to do this and you're going to do this you know they're you're going to say yes sir we're going to say jump you'll say yes sir how high Uh uh-huh you know kiss is never going to be what they were ever again and i don't you know diehards will argue me on this i don't understand why they can't recognize this kiss are no longer ever going to be kiss this is a whole new era and more importantly because ace is leaving which we'll get to later in this episode but in the meantime and and ace mm -hmm. leaving is a very odd transition because by this point in the history of everything he's gone 
Yeah, I mean, it's he, like he he's he, nowhere to be found. Well, but he'll, then he shows up for the press tours and stuff. So that's why I says it's a very interesting release for Ace. And 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 you know this this whole album reminds me a little bit of uh, the Rolling Stones did an album in the mid seventies called Black and Blue. Yeah. Right. And on that album, you get um, this is after uh, Mick Taylor had left, and they wanted Ronnie Wood, but they tried out other guitar players and basically to try them out they came and recorded lead tracks for the album so right. you've got different lead players across that album yeah like and, peter uh, frampton jeff beck or at least uh, whether they well, recorded the, or the, auditioned a guy named harvey mandel and i think the guy's name was wayne perkins i don't have that in front of me he plays on my favorite track on that album do this song called um, hand of fate it's just that's a great killer too yeah, I, you know that's a great record too i mean and they've pulled it off and, but anyway kiss are kind of doing the same thing they're flying people in they're trying people out and some of these guys end up with you know tracks on the on the record yeah um because they were uh, kind of using the new songs as tryout as songs. As tryout songs, yep. essentially. Uh, yeah. you know, we talked about that, I think, with uh, in the case of um, um, Steve, Steve Ferris. Steve uh-huh. Ferris. We'll get to that. Let's, we, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. I just uh, Before we get it, it, we'll we'll start breaking down the track by track here in a minute. But um, So there's not a single song on this album that does not include a co-writing credit. Yeah. And the chief two co-songwriters are a guy named Adam Mitchell, and uh, he contributed he, a lot on Killers, and he yeah he contributed with Killers, mm-hmm. and then the other chief contributor is a guy that Mitchell brought along with him. Uh, there's I guess depending on how the stories go, <laughs> uh, a guy named Vincent Cusano. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a hard or soft U. Is it Cusano or Cusano? I'm I've gonna heard, say heard Cusano. Both. Yeah, <laughs> and of course Cusano or Cusano, uh, whatever. And these guys come in. And uh, I guess you know their their job is to help Kiss get back on track to write you know hard rock songs, commercial. You can't write under, a hit. You, you've got to yeah, write it. Just write a hit. Yeah. Now Here, did, uh, we'll just use these guys. <laughs> now did uh not did Vincent Cusano already come in with the bad reputation that everybody kind of alludes to when they talk about I to mean, a point. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, we hear this now. We hear a lot of, you know, it's always after the fact that it's easier to stuff, kick someone I've, after they're already down yeah. kind of yeah. situation. So, but the tellings that we always hear is that Vinny was always known to be kind of troublesome, but his creative output was almost worth the trouble. Right. Cause that it, was always the vibe I've gotten from any readings. I've got so yeah, read. It just, to me, it just seems like it's a, it's revisionist history because if he seemed that problematic, why would they go with him? Obviously, he seemed the less problematic. Well, they we did say they about, went by for him by default. By no, the end I disagree of with that. We just talked about in the last episode, uh, like what a dozen different guitar players they brought in. Yeah, it, it, it just could all of those guys have been any more bizarre or strange or difficult or any of the adjectives that we've thrown and we've heard thrown at Vinny since he was the last one around. I I don't know. But it just doesn't seem to. It doesn't. Their their variation of that story just doesn't make sense. So if you're looking at it from this perspective and going in, it's like, okay, you've flown in guys from New York. You've flown in guys. You've tried out guys. There's guys that you even put on the record, and and it's like, okay, but well, we had to go with this guy. 
Well, no, you didn't. You well, had you had a dozen different names. I think you the had name more. Steve Ferris in that one of the names There's on the what, record. That's yeah, okay. the guy we're going to talk about here in a minute. I was going to say um, the guy that was with Vinny heard the a Steve Ferris solo and said, "Why don't you hire that guy?" And they were like, "He didn't look the part." Well, see, that's what I'm saying. It's like they're they're like they're they're being so and picky. that goes into my point about they've reached a point where they're going to second guess every step they make you, you mentioned that exactly yeah. they're before and now they're everything in, just charged along i mean there might have been forethought and there might have been you know uh i'm not saying they didn't second guess it's different to second guessing yourself there's a difference between second guessing and planning yeah they planned they planned what, what, we what they saw. were yeah and now they're going to second guess themselves because they're under the they're under the you know the boot of their record label they're under the you know they've had essentially so the, two you could say three failed albums uh, I wouldn't call Dynasty a failed album, but no. you know they—they're just—they don't know who do, who they are anymore, and Kiss can't be Kiss anymore. And yeah, because a lot of their uh, the team they started off with is falling apart or has left or is gone. And, yeah, and it's also interesting to know what Paul Stanley wants to do at this point. And, well, it's and also and just you know what he a, wants to do at this point, right? Apparently, a more visually different band because it's like they're wanting to make sure they just get someone that looks the part, well, not necessarily he also plays the, the part. He, at this point, he goes ahead and and tables the option of maybe it's time we drop this makeup. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Gene digs his and Gene big old boots no. in. Gene and and, uh, and I agree with Gene. And you know, again, this is coming right on the heels of them finally being able to get that trademark on those designs yep. which like, is what, a big deal and again we covered that only what two to three episodes ago so that was, was only i think it was only last episode I it think was so. real recent that they i mean it's only 1981 they finally got to pull that off they i mean they were working okay, on that then, for yeah, years two that was years. like bill coin's kind of farewell gesture to the i mean not farewell. Yeah, 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 that yeah. was his big last thing and he's actually still kind of involved at one point because uh he makes a, a suggestion let me find this here that they use, I can't find it. You'll run into it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, but they. But yeah, so the idea is still floated, though. Yeah. Anyway, they've got these co-writers, Adam Mitchell. I think Adam Mitchell's songs, in my opinion, and I can't, you know, this is just simply an opinion based yeah. on what I know the songwriting style to be. Um. I think they're largely songs, finished songs, and Paul puts some minor tweaks on them mm-hmm. to get his co-writing credit. And yeah, and these they are all progress because some of these songs aren't—they just don't feel like Kiss songs to no. me. No, no. Honestly, it feels like. I, it, so I, I think yeah. Adam Mitchell and and Vincent Cusano, or you know, who or, will become Vinnie Vincent have giant amount of influence on the songwriting process on this album, at least with Paul's songs. That kind of yeah. uh, contribute to what was popular at the time, whether it was on pop radio or with the heavy metal kids. So do we want to go ahead and just jump into this now, track by track here? Yeah, I think Might that's a good well. way to do it. Uh, first song right out of the gate, the title track, Creatures of the Night. I'll say at the top, though, the drum sounds on this album are fucking beastly. Yeah. Oh yeah, no. It's like it's for the first time we really get to hear what Eric Carr can do. Yeah, because even the Killers tracks weren't really all that. It's like this is the first time we really get to hear. All right, Eric, here's a riff. 
Now throw something heavy on it because they were intentionally even trying to go in that heavier direction well, for say, this record. This leans very hard towards heavy metal and yes. signals the the lane change that will define Kiss in the eighties. And since we also talk because about context being key, eighty two. What what kind of bands can we just kind of think off the top of our head that are kind of releasing first records that are really kind of pushing toward that direction? Because I know, like, hardcore punk is definitely in the forefront of things by now. Well, no, not really. I mean... Well, the so early hardcore more it's like... It's not having any commercial inroad. That's so, No, no, but like it's still something kind of seeping in. I, I, 82, I, I, you've got like Screaming for Vengeance from Judas Priest and things like that. I was going to say, the big commercial like record, Screaming for Vengeance, uh, Number of the Beast, Iron Maiden. Saxon's got Denim and Leather. Uh, you know, you've got these, the, kind of the rise of the whole heavy metal thing. Like the which, British heavy metal yeah, thing in particular. It, it, heavy metal's really coming into prominence as a genre. You know, it seems like prior to this, you know, rock and roll, you had your hard rock bands and, and, you know, I guess the term heavy metal was still out there. But, you know, this kind of ironclad, you know, genre defining heavy, we're heavy metal. Yeah. And Kiss seems to think they have to be a part of this. They've never done this. Uh, To me, Kiss were never a heavy metal band, ever. I agree with that. They they were a hard rock band or a guitar rock band. But they aren't a heavy metal band. Oh, that would always confuse me. Like when I was really young, like I remember elementary school days, VH1 or MTV would run like you know the top t- you know top 100 metal bands of all time. It'd be like Poison and Whitesnake. And- yeah, so they're playing like all these actual metal bands or subgenre of metal bands, and then you know they'd always get into that top 20. And they start putting in bands like Alice Cooper and Kiss. And yeah. I'm like... Alice neither- Cooper was in a heavy metal. Yeah. Album. And when he tried to go heavy metal, it sucked too. So. Yeah, it sounded like Rob Tommy. But yeah. no, so it's like uh, there are multiple bands that kind of get lumped into that heavy metal category that I've never understood why. Well, that's because I think people were, again, and this was especially true for something like Alice or kiss and i can speak from experiences like you're listening with your eyes yeah aesthetically yeah. And, it's and, a thing. and like when alice cooper made his comeback in the mid mid 80s i can remember um you know we found schools out me and some buddies in high school yeah and boy i tell you that threw us sideways <laughs> i mean if if anyone doesn't know what i'm talking about go listen to schools out I mean, now it's probably my favorite Alice Cooper record. Oh, it threw me for a loop, too, when you I was know, doing my Alice Cooper But when you Cooper get dove. into that last third of the record there where he starts basically doing like a, almost like a disco thing. Well, it's not yeah. disco because it's way before kind of like that. A, but, you know, with the horns and the whole nine yards, yeah. you're just like, what? Is this the, a hard rock record? What, yeah, what, what is, is this? this? <laughs> but um, at the time, you know, you just couldn't wrap your head around it because mm-hmm. we had been sold this concept that Alice Cooper was a quote-unquote heavy metal act yeah and the same with kiss and kiss really was never a heavy metal band no per se just because they were a four-piece guitar rock band doesn't make you by default heavy metal no and i think a heavy metal and i don't say and i'm not saying that it's a disparaging thing to claim heavy metal i mean you know you can say obviously black sabbath there's a giant there's a vast universe of difference between kiss and black sabbath absolutely there's a vast universe of difference between kiss and iron maiden Mm mm-hmm but or, then there's or, a vast difference Priest. between Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, and Black Sabbath. There's vast differences. Yeah, but so that's you, even but the fun I can thing. See, I can see throwing. I can see Sabbath. Throwing. I can see Sabbath and Priest and Maiden being all, all kind of umbrellaed under the same thing. Whereas Kiss just musically weren't really a part of that. No, I would honestly like 
objectively, not to go too far off on this tangent, I think the only Kiss song that ever hinged on any sort of feel of heavy metal would be a Sabbath-y vibe for God of Thunder. But even that, to me, doesn't... It doesn't, but know, I think just the extra this, evilness of it all. I was going to say, creatures. Well, I was, creatures I'm talking more classic okay. Well, here, you know, it feels like they're kind of going to that you know that feel with back to creatures of the night what's interesting to me about this is that if they're going to go for a commercial hard rock sound it would seem to me they would want to be aping something more like uh um lover boy yeah which is kind of what you know happens here and there on future records yeah because they don't know that we'll we'll get to that yeah but uh, this isn't a bad song. No, I, but this it's is not one of a my song. Favorites. I don't. I don't really. I mean, that's like that's not one I particularly care for. But you know, it's a good. It's a good opening song. But it really signals that Kiss that we knew, even the Kiss Alive. It's like this. A lot of people call this a return to form. It's not return to form. Old Kiss. It's no. maybe a. It's it's a, a return, return to balls. It's quote a, unquote. Well, it's a. It's, it's hard a, rock. It's not necessarily even a return to form. It is a turn to a form. And that form there you is go. I this like that. new heavy yep. metal thing. Oddly enough, here's a little odd side note. On this track, Mike Porcaro plays bass, the bass player from Toto. Right. <laughs> How and why he's on here, I have no idea. Well, it's, it kind of alludes to in the Wikipedia page that Gene was going through a breakup with Diana Ross and just didn't show up for sessions. Yeah, he just started because, pulling an ace. He just stopped showing up. Just out of like heartache or whatever. I don't know. You, the, you know, the, you like even Gene kind of touches the, on that in his broken, book a little bit. The broken-hearted demon. I know. Right? <laughs> Hollywood got to him, man. Yeah. There's a couple of bass players that play on this. Going uh, to therapy, you know. <laughs> no, that's the other member in a couple years. Well, no, Paul's still going to therapy. Uh, but I don't like to get into their personal lives on this. This is something. But I, unfortunately, I've purposely avoided on this. Right. I, will have, I will say though. In the coming episodes, we will have to kind of go into the personal right, life right. because we'll, we'll, that, we'll deal with that when we get there. Okay, I was just wanting well, to make sure we weren't ahead of ourselves. I was to make sure we weren't going to gloss over that though, because that's a very interesting thing that not a lot of people have talked about until Paul recently in his own book talked about it. Yeah, it's a, that's a so odd so at least so I feel like if he talked about it, it's okay. Um, Satan Center. Let's keep it. We're kind of well. We're, we're, the only thing I want to say on Creatures of the Night though is. Mm-hmm. I like this song for the same reason why I like some other classic Kiss songs. Not for the reason that it, we're listening to the studio version, but like Deuce, the Alive version is so much better than the studio version. Right. Stuff like that. I love this song because of, I'm ducking the arrows in the comment section now, <laughs> for the Alive 3 version. I think the Alive 3 version of Creatures of the Night is fucking amazing well that's way ahead of the. it is but i'm just saying that's one of the reasons why i do like this song though even the recorded version now is because i've heard so many good versions of it Um, steve ferris does a killer solo yeah we talked about that i think a little bit it's that's only his second take on that yeah and he did this trick with his his volume pedal in a a whammy bar Mm -hmm. and, and you know that kind of feels like a like he's spinning into the solo or whatever it's pretty cool. Um, it's a pretty cool little trick. I mean, you know, and Especially it shows that stuff they're like, like that they're wasn't not, overdone yet. They're yeah. not interested in trying to have anyone emulate Ace's style at this point. They're just like, come in and do it. But of course, right now, for all intents and purposes, 
they don't want their record company knowing the ace is gone because Ooh. they're going to be in breach of contract if that happens. Right. And we'll we'll get to that here shortly. Saint and Sinner. Uh, this is a co-write with Michael Jap, who had yep. co-wrote several songs on Paul's solo album. He's the one. Okay, that's Paul. Bill Coyne brought him back into the mix for this. I don't know the story on that, but apparently that's according to what he says. Bill Coyne called him up and said, hey, do you got anything you can help the boys out with? Okay. So, well, it's unfortunate because this is one of my least favorite tracks. Um, uh, that's probably one of my favorite Gene tracks on the album, though. Probably really? because of the drum feel and everything, too. I'm a sucker for uh, Eric's playing on this song. I like this song. I got a friend of mine that like likes to pick this song out as the stupid, you know... I, I, I the enjoy chorus it. is pretty stinky. I think I, I don't. It doesn't bother me. Uh, it's not at all like a classic Kiss song. No, but it's a solid hard rock song. I do have to give the song. It's got a cool groove. Like Eric caught a really cool groove, like during yeah, the verses, right, and like yeah. even the outro with the little vocal. Whoa! Yeah, 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 I love well, the harmonies on that too, or the way they yeah. blended that. So, so there's good moments in the song, but it's this just, doesn't feel like a Kiss song at all. Well, neither did the one before. I, well, none of these songs do to me. It's a solid. Gene Simmons, like say mm. if it was like a if it was like a lead track on a solo album or something like that, then I would be well. I'm still all for it on the Kiss record, but it's a pretty solid Gene performance. And, and this is the first appearance of Vinny on lead guitar. Uh, not a very complicated lead, which makes me wonder maybe they're still kind of straddling the the fence as to you know don't overplay because you know maybe we can talk Ace back into the fold here. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I you know who's I think they're constantly second guessing themselves i think it just depends on the yeah situation. because the song before ace would have never been able to pull off but maybe this one they're like mm, kinda, yeah. mm. <laughs> this might be a single um uh, keep me coming it's where the first uh stripper rock uh at least 80 stripper rock kiss song comes from to me this felt like it belongs on lick it up or animalize i agree with that I mean, at this point, does it is it really <laughs> more so than the others? Well, I like the riff. I like the riff. I mm-hmm. like the whole the vocal part. I like the arrangement of it. But it seems to me, and this is something that I noticed even as a kid when I was still buying these records, until the point where I stopped. Paul has this thing where he seems to fall into a rut where he writes these great starts. He's got a good riff. He's got a good melody line. He gets to the chorus and he doesn't know what the fuck to do. And the chorus doesn't pay off. It's just keep me coming. I mean, it's just like, you know, at one point they seem to possess a sense of a of of, of a sort of a dry ironic wit of sorts, you know, kind of clever. You know, there's a fine, there's, you know, spinal tap, spot, fine line between stupid and clever. Yeah. <laughs> but here it's like, it's just been, they just feel like it's better to adopt this macho bravado. Yeah. You know, we're tough men. And it was like before, they didn't really care about that stuff. And now it's like, they seem like they got to appear like they're, you know, we're, we're ladies men. We're tough guys. We're, we're heavy gonna, metal. You know, you got to keep me coming. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and they sing this stupid shit with like a chest thumping sincerity. Yeah. And it's it just doesn't work for me. It didn't work for me even then. I was just kind of like, come on. Really? And to not jump too far ahead, it's like you have to imagine Paul singing this, beating his chest like you've seen him do with that goddamn tail. Is this the... <laughs> <laughs> you, you know the tail he's got on the costume? No, I don't remember that. You don't remember that? No. Oh, it's in all the footage. You can see it really well in the um, Kissology Sam Paul uh, footage. Uh-huh. Yeah, he has a black foxtail on. 
Well, well, there you go. Yeah, have you, I'm so, and he wore that as part because uh, they did like the Kiss Cruise and like a handful of shows to celebrate the Creatures right, right. era. He had that, and they put the costumes back together. Oh yeah, he put that back on again. Right, yeah. yeah, he's got a little tail. Yeah, that's dumb. <laughs> one of these tracks, and I thought it was this one. I can't remember. They re-recorded. It was recorded once in a different key, I think. And they they decided it didn't suit his voice, so they dropped it mm-hmm. and re-recorded it. And Bob Kulick had done a solo that supposedly was really good, and it didn't get used. Huh. So I think it was this one. That would make sense. I didn't run across that back. Um, I didn't either. You know, I meant to write it in my notes, and I didn't. So well, that's, keep me coming. You know, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> strike, strike another strike against our professionalism. We never <laughs> said we were professional. <laughs> yeah, well, that's for goddamn sure with me. Uh, <laughs> rock and roll hell. AKA fucking jukebox hero. That's what I got. That is exactly <laughs> awesome. what I got. That's, that's my note. I said it's a cynical ripoff of Foreigner's jukebox hero. It sure fucking is. <laughs> and this, oddly, this song seems to have a second life elsewhere as a Bachman Turner Overdrive song. What? But I don't know how, where, why, or when. I've yeah, heard it, but it's been too. 20 years maybe since I heard it because it was. I saw. I heard it on the Kiss Forum. Like someone posted it a year or so it ago. Has, it had not stuck with me at all. I had no. It was utterly unremember. And then Ace recently did it on his Origins Volume Two record. Well, which is weird because good on you, Ace. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Here's a song I didn't play on and that nobody really likes, but here you go. And here's a very shitty version of it. That, Honestly, it was Ace's solo albums. Just those will be out. that'll be an episode later. Okay. But they suck. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler they alert. Suck. They uh, suck. But but as for this version, uh, I this is this is the first song so far from side one, aside from Creatures of the Night, that I can listen to all the way through. I like the song. I you know the thing is is I like this album in spite of myself. I'm going to probably I shoot too. holes all in it, but I have to qualify that. I overall I think this is a decent album. Oddly enough, yeah. it's just not a good Kiss album, right? And, and honestly, there's a song that I make fun of a lot that I had to have some soul searching on. That I'm just like, if this wasn't a Kiss song, I probably wouldn't make fun of it that, as much. That's how I feel about a lot of these tracks. Well, so yeah, we'll get you, through that one again. Though. Jukebox Hero. This is absolutely inspired. And there's no way you're going to convince me that this wasn't inspired by jukebox hero oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and the difference between that song and this song or this song in any other kiss song is that in 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 another in anyone's hands as with foreigner it's an anthemic song it it's it kind of has a feel-good quality that anthemic put your fist in the air song this song and most of this album has this kind of melancholic kind of feel to it. It's a downer. Yeah. It's a complete downer. It's not anthemic at all. Get and it's me like out of this rock and exactly. roll. Exactly. Talking about how the guy has to do it, has to become a star. I mean, I like the song, but it's just it doesn't it's like the if this is like almost like the the I guess the the darker side of jukebox hero where yeah. you, where the you know, does the kid fail? What's going on here? It doesn't have that same kind of. And here, that makes it what makes it so frustrating is here's a, a band whose strength is writing these fist in the air anthemic, you know, rock songs. Yep. There's only the only other group that does it half as well or equally as well was Slade, and they did the same thing when they when their bloom came off the rose. All their stuff went into this sort of melancholic nosedive, and they started writing songs like "How Does It Feel" and stuff like this. And and I'm like, why would you do this? Yeah. And do they think that they're writing a cool anthem? Well, is it Gene 
writing the majority of it, or is it Brian Adams and his partner Jim Valance? Ah, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. We don't, you know, how much input is there here? Um, but overall, I still like this song. Yeah, it's yeah. not a bad song by any means. But again, just a very it's weird the first one I can song. show some love to. It's not as it's not as stupid as Keep Me Coming. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but then again, that's not as stupid as this next song, <laughs> Danger. And so, again, you got you got a good build up. I yeah. think the I think the 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 riff is cool. The riff is cool. The the verse parts, the whole arrangement, and then he heats a chorus, and it's like uh, I don't know what to do. Danger, danger, danger! It's like fuck. That's it. So th- this is the one I had to say I had to step back and reevaluate. And if it wasn't a kiss song, I wouldn't laugh at it as much because the thing that I laugh at because I just imagine Paul doing it is him singing along to every note change that ba 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 la da 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 da. Yeah, I always thought that was weird too. Well, it's weird imagining Paul doing it, but if it was some badass '80s metal band that had that song that didn't repeat "Danger, Danger" over and over, I probably wouldn't well, laugh at it, it as much. But well, the "Danger, yeah. Danger" part's what kills it. Just the whole idea. It feels like he just ran out of an idea, and then he had a rushed attempt to finish out the song. And he just but, rushed but it out is this also chorus. Just an interesting, it, doesn't, it doesn't pay off. It is just, though, an interesting Paul vocal with the riff. Because, again, the riff walks so much, and Paul hits every riff note during mm. the chorus in certain verses. They're, I want to know. Da, 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 I like da, all that, though. It's just weird imagining Paul doing it, though. I think it works. I think I think for Paul, this is very I power think, metal. I think yeah. Viking power metal See, kind of shit. I don't have that vibe. I think that the verse parts sound very close to classic kiss they're on he's on to something here but he doesn't know where to go with it and then he hits the chorus and it just it almost yeah it has that stutter you know the it gets up to the part and then it does the ba-da ba-da or whatever Uh and i'm like whoa why 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 (laughs) you were so close man you know you almost you almost it's like you almost hit a, a hit a home run and here you've got a you know oh maybe a double uh, <laughs> it's interesting to note a guy named jimmy haslip plays bass from blackjack he was right? in blackjack but guess who else he played for uh jimmy hill well yep tell him i won't Here? look i won't should i look should no, i look i'll just tell you he was in the band street punk okay who opened for kiss on their earliest shows back oh, in new okay. york city they, okay. they were part of that scene and also, uh, I know that Blackjack was also had Michael Blackjack. Bolton yeah. as their lead singer, who right. wound up co-writing with Paul Stanley uh, later did they on. Right, I know, but Bruce Kulick was the guitar player in Blackjack. So, oh, okay, I didn't know that either. So all of this threads together. You know, they 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 reached outside sources, but they usually, you know, you find that the the links in the chain aren't that aren't that many. No. And speaking of Bruce, and this was probably also the, aren't that strong. This was this was also the era in which Bob was like, I don't want to be in Kiss, but why don't you check out my younger brother Bruce? Well, did he say he didn't want to be in Kiss or they just didn't take him because he had no hair? He I'm I'm just I'm I don't R- that's, to R- me, R.I.P. Bob, I'm using his words. I think <laughs> so, I don't I think he would have happily jumped into that slot he, i agree you know. too i'm just i'm and just using his words him. out of respect but we'll, 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 you know what mark try to remember that before we end the episode because okay. i want to talk a little bit about that okay but, okay but let's just keep tracking on the songs here we've i the love it up, loud flip the record over yes. i love it loud the lead single off of the album 
another shot in an anthem. Mm-hmm. I think it works better. Yes. Yeah. I, I can too. remember when this came out. I'm old enough to begin to remember when this was new. I heard this. Believe it or not, they played it on WROV in Roanoke. Oh, wow. I and I can, you know what? We sat there and listened to it, and we were like, dude, that's what the cheerleaders do. <laughs> and i shit you not the cheerleaders had an identical i fucking identical they would do that and i'm like where did did he hear that on a football game or something was that not a cheerleader thing i don't know i mean it wouldn't shock me quite frankly so at the time when this came out it was just shocking to hear him like you know and it felt like such a sellout you know, when you're, I can when, imagine that. When I you're can a young that. teenage kid and you're hearing, dude, they're doing the cheerleader chant. <laughs> you're just like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, I can imagine. Now you don't hear it any other way than it's the Kiss song. Yeah. But back then, and, and maybe this wasn't nationwide. Maybe it was, and like I said, might just be that one in a million coincidence that yeah. the cheerleaders in our little school district were doing that. Well, I mean, it's so basic. But we I'm wouldn't sure. Mean, I hear versions I of that. You hear versions of that in a lot of like a. Uh, "Quote unquote hair metal band songs afterwards too, but uh, but apparently a song that Paul did not like because yeah. this song had been in the hopper since like early elder period. I think they were saying, oh, really? oh yeah, yeah. I knew Paul didn't like it. They end up uh, hatcheting it up a little bit to play it live to make it shorter. Yeah, felt like it dragged. Yep, because in fact, mm-hmm. um, I agree with them on that on aspect. Uh, the Montreal show. Gene tries, tries to, to go, sing yeah, at the second he, verse. He cuts right into it, yeah. <laughs> I, put, I actually put that in in one of my yeah, notes. There's a, there's a video of them playing from Montreal on this tour that's one of the few existing videos of their of that era. Mm-hmm. So I tried to do a little bit of digging on that, and really the only show I had time to watch was the uh, Rio show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Montreal show, I think, is a little better. It's um, like it's, it's lesser quality, but a better show. We'll, we'll we'll come back yeah, to yeah, that yeah, and yeah. talk about that. But 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 yes. But what you were saying is they had to shorten it up live and Gene for that tour notoriously still could not get it. Um, <laughs> but I agree with the fact that it fucking drags because one of my th- one of the things that I hate about eighty songs is overly repetitive choruses that fade out over and over again. That always drove me crazy. This one fades out and, and then fades, fades back, back in. in. That's the helter skelter. <laughs> it's like it's like hey, you think it, you think it's they're drags? like fuck you, Cap. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> oh, we're gonna we're gonna you know I. Don't don't know I, I don't remember we didn't have mtv back then or anything like that we knew the video existed because i saw it on maybe like entertainment tonight and they, of course they didn't show the whole thing but like, yeah yeah damn um but this was the single i can remember having actually heard it on radio so yes it got some radio airplay but we just thought it was so weird um, it's so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> but no, I dig this one. And again, unfortunately, for the same reason I like Creatures, is I've heard faster versions from Alive 3 and subsequent tours that it's like once they kick it up that little extra notch, it gives that song a little more life. So it's like I, I just I hear the faster versions and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a fun song. And plus, actually getting to hear it live. Live. It has a totally different feel, especially when everyone around you knows the chant. It's like, oh yeah, no, it it works. It's fun. It just still it doesn't, you know. It's there. It's the the most successful song on this record for me, as far as what they're trying to achieve. But yeah. it still doesn't feel like a Kiss song. It's it it's doesn't. something else. And we'll get, but I'm it gonna, is I'm a gonna, fun when we get song. to the when I get to the summarization, I'm going to explain why I feel like this doesn't feel like a Kiss record to me. But I still love you. 
Oh, and there, oh, and by the way, there's a song called "I Still Love You Guys." <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted, I just wanted to tell you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm but, stupid. <laughs> I don't know with this song. Uh, what I like about it is that it, that Paul Stanley kind of goes into that R&B uh, uh, feel with his vocal, even though the music kind of sounds like it should be like a dark metal song or whatever. Well, this kind of that makes me think about you know at some point we've talked about this before. At some point in this era, Paul has had vocal lessons and his vocal ch- style has changed. And I don't see how people don't pick up on this because to me it's just patently obvious he doesn't have whatever quality he possessed as an untrained vocal is gone and i think it hurt you know it, i think most people because they like that commercial thing you know especially fans that are fans of 80s kiss which is inexplicable to me that that exists <laughs> oh, like there's a this. huge resurgence you know, of 80s kiss I, man i don't i you know but uh overall i think this is a pretty decent song for what it tries to be but uh, it's too bombastic to be a hit, and uh, you know it's like it's almost like too soft. And I, I wrote here in my notes, dare I say, mature to speak to alienated teenagers. I so, agree with that. So this actually is all, to speak for, on that. You know, I hate to use the word adult, but this is uh, it you know, is. It's a much more adult themed kind of thing. A teenager kind of can go to. The, I guess he could kind of pine for his ex girlfriend with this, but. The vibe really isn't, I don't know, it does... Well, what you said is very correct with it being adult, and it's the reason, like, over time I've learned to like this song a little more. Like, even on MTV Unplugged, it felt like it kind of fell a little short. But one, like uh, Cap was saying, Paul's vocal on it, especially during the chorus, it, even though his vocal range and style changed, it's very powerful. It works. He does oh, yeah. really well. Oh, I'm well. not saying he's a bad vocalist at all. No, I know you're not, but I'm saying, like, but for me personally, the delivery's really good, and then understanding the backstory some because Paul said during this time period was like some of the lowest and most depressed he had ever been. Well, you, you know, he had been dating Donna Dixon and she dumped him cold for Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. So this was his cathartic let it out song. Maybe perhaps. Well, no, he, he says it is. Okay. All right. Well, he said that this was his let it out. Like, you know, all the emotions built up, get it out in a song kind of way. So understanding the backstory and kind of knowing that, like, there's not a lot to really read in on the song. It's very autobiographical Mm -hmm. of what he's going through. Well, it, it kind of adds a little more to it, knowing that it comes from a genuine place, because so many Kiss songs come from that fantasy right, kind of aspect. Right. Well, that's funny, because I wrote, this feels plasticized. It's, it's plasticized blues, inauthentic and sterile. Maybe the delivery, and but like the, you know, the message on the I inside is very just, real, yeah. which I appreciate. I, just well, thought, I always thought the chord progression and the notes they used were kind of felt weird it's just open guitar strings and it's well (laughs) well, they have robin ford playing lead guitar on this i guess he was a blues guitar player yeah i don't think his blues guitar playing is very good no (laughs) i know there's guitar players that might be sitting there going you're crazy man i'm like "Eh." for this song for this song then maybe i just you know I don't know, man. I you know, I don't hate it's, this it's, one. It's, it's it's more St. Louis blues, and I prefer more Delta blues. So that's just yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> Look, I have to give this song some love because the next one. Okay, here we go. <laughs> I think unanimously at this table, it's the worst song on the record. It's, it's so killer. fucking bad. Killer. 
Why? All right. So why is there a modulation just randomly at the second chorus? <laughs> It's just like let's just change Cap, the key. That's your takeaway. That's your first note for the song. That's a, a good lot point. of notes. You for know this. what? That's a fair point to make. It's like that's the most. It's the only creative thing they do with this. <laughs> this song is so. The bitch is insane. She lives in pain. It's such a mess. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not the first time they use the word bitch in a song, but it's yeah. the first time they used it as an as an. As, a, as an adjective for a woman. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, is that supposed to make you be like a macho tough guy? Well, I think I'm going to call her a bitch. Well, I think it's a conceited effort because didn't, isn't this the first tour Paul starts cussing? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's just all that stuff. Because I, I know so on that convoluted. Because I know on so one of those shows, I'll watch. He said, it's so good to fucking be back. Yeah. Or it's good to be back. You know, yeah. he's, he's so fuck in there somewhere. Hey, I'm, I'm a tough New York guy. Yeah, like even to the point, I can't remember how he said it because it was so awkward. The, the lyrics in this are just, it's like they're not even trying. No. They're not even trying. You know, and it's just so stupid. And, and, it, and they don't know what to write. And it, and it falls into the same trap as the Paul choruses. Stone Cold! Killer! It's fucking dumb, man. It's like this. They don't Killer. know what to write. So what they do try to write is this. Yeah. I mean, this is just awful. Mm-hmm. There's nothing good about this it, song. Weird power metal and guitar I think, riff. I think, I think it's fucking maybe, London Dungeon. That dun 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 London Dungeon. I mean, you know, at least that's the it works for the Misfits. But yeah. For Kiss, man, this is just like, hey, we got to write a hard rock song. Yeah, but we got to be cool. We got to make the kids got to think we're cool again. Yep, yep. And I guess what? This isn't cool. No, and I, even no. as a no kid, when I cool. had this record when it was new, and I was like, this song's stupid. This might be my and least favorite Kiss song we've covered so far. I'm not really? gonna lie. Really? This so far, I think this might be like maybe the bottom of the of the barrel for Kiss. I don't think they've done anything this bad, even including yeah. the Elder. Yeah. Well, you know. except for maybe the Odyssey. Or Mr. Blackwell. Well, even Mr. Blackwell, I don't to, think is as bad as this. I would listen to either <laughs> of those. Saying, they're, over in that, they're in that. They're in that. Those bottom levels. Yeah, but oh, man, yeah. you know, I mean, this this is still. This might even be worse than you know. It's there's okay. a child in a sundress looking at a rainy sky. <laughs> there's a place in the desert where an ocean once danced by. <laughs> but you know, it's just killer. I just nothing about this works. War Machine. Closes out the album. This is a very short album, by the way. They oh, just, yeah. Eh. It is. It's like, what, 38 minutes, I think. This is a decent riff. It kind of calls back God of Thunder in a weird way. It does. But better watch out. I'm a war machine. No, really? It's not, it's hey, not. guys, you better watch out because I'm a war machine. Yeah, the, the lyrics. Shut the fuck no, up. No, it's not war machine. It's wall machine. Whatever. Wall machine. <laughs> This sounds like it was written by staff songwriters trying to impersonate I mean, a heavy metal band. I mean, it kind of was. This is Brian like, Adams and uh, Jim Balance. Well, yeah, yeah <laughs> well, there again. you go. I mean, this sounds like it's like, hey, are we we need a stock heavy metal song for our cartoon band in the the in, you know in yeah, Scooby Doo, yeah, yeah. you know, and it's like, okay, we're a war machine. We're a war- get the fuck out of here, man. And this song got played. I think they still play this that shit. They did. One I was this song bring is out. fucking stupid and shouldn't exist. I love the verses more than the chorus. The verses are and, pretty cool. Are cool for Gene, you know, comic book character. There's some good lyrics, lyrics in this, and but the War Machine thing is just what dumb. It's just dumb. It re- that's it's not the one clever thing that dumb. Ruins it's it. just dumb, dumb. It's dumb for even a for a submaronic, uh, zit faced, oily haired 
tattered <laughs> jean jacket wearing teenager in some you know suburban mall arcade oh, dumb. No, no, and trust- I'm talking about myself. I was young enough and still, you know, I'm like, this is just dumb. Well, see, here's the thing. I had this record at an early age too. It was one of the handful of CDs mom rebought. So it's like I had this at my disposal disposal even younger than what you're describing there. And even this pimply, you know, comic book video game player right. that's used to, you know, crazy outcomes and stupid machines. Even I'm listening to it going, why is Gene a war machine? Like, I, don't, I, just, I don't I don't know. Because just, again, the only thing it, I could closely like approximate out. it to was they wanted to, it was something about the tank on stage. That that was the war machine. I don't know, but what led, what fed the other? One fed right. the other. Yeah, I don't, right. you know, I just yeah. think that um, it just, the song almost could work. They just, it's almost like they're, they just kind of give up. They get to the chorus and they don't know what to do. And so this is what they do. That's and it's been, not good. Yeah, because some the of the cool of lyrics is like the intro lyrics, want to bite the hand that feeds me i'm yeah. gonna take his place it's like that's that pretty fucking fun. cool yeah i'm okay with that yeah you know and like i said the riff is pretty decent and mm-hmm. like i said but once they get to the chorus the payoff it's just it's it just seems insulting it's almost like you know we're not even going to try because we think you're stupid enough to buy this anyway well it doesn't work because <laughs> no one didn't. buys this record <laughs> to this <laughs> day this album i don't think has gone gold and it's like uh it's whatever I you know well it got a okay it was it it certified gold in May of ninety four which was okay. twelve so much years later after <laughs> that was like right on the heels of the reunion tour that was like right before all that shit happened but overall this album like I said it's not a return to form that people want to say it is it is a turn to, to a, a form. form and it's not kiss I give it an A for effort because they really seem like they're trying. But they don't even seem like they're trying at the same time. So it's like B, they get a, a C for execution. It's like, yeah. it doesn't, it's you, like, you, it's you like, made a thing. I'll it, put it on the fridge. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, I okay. wish that, that's one of the few times I wish we had video. Your face of realization of just like, <laughs> that's, yes. That's a good point, you know? But the problem that I have with this is that it's anonymous heavy metal. That this, this is a anonymous kiss. heavy metal. This that's could good. be any band. From anywhere. It and that, has no identity at all. It doesn't possess an identity. And KISS will have this problem that will plague them into this very fucking day. And we run the risk, very serious risk, or I do, over the oncoming episodes. So everyone get ready for this. I'm going to be highly critical because the band that I love has completely given up everything that they that made them great and they're going to continuously kowtow to the demands of what they think the 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 dictates of both their record company or or more importantly commercial or uh conventional ideas are and whereas before like you said they they planned and they did what they wanted to do. Now they can't do that anymore. They have to do what is expected. Well, yep. what's expected from me as a fan is for them to do their thing. And it's really hard for them to do, do their thing. Because with, they don't know what their idea is anymore. And to summarize, because to kind of wrap up discussing the actual record before we go on to you know the way it was released and all that, it's really hard for them to do their own thing when you have six ghost players on the band there you go it's like that's the best way to summarize i went ahead and just did a small head count six 
additional players, it, including not including Paul, Gene, and Eric. See, taking those three out of the equation, well, six and, and, extra and, and, and how and how many co-writers? Oh, I didn't even go to co-writers. So I co-writers. went just additional players. You've got players. You've Sounds got on the record. There's, they have an engineer for the drums by themselves. Oh, <laughs> who, is in the, who is this band? Oh, and, the, well, here's here's the. This was labeled under additional musicians because it says like additional recording for a ton of extra people that are uncredited. It goes on. It's an entire page of extras because it's the first time we see them on a Kiss record. Because they're there's it's like they're it's like seeing the swimmer that's drowning and he's just flailing away trying anything to save himself. Yeah, you know, and and who's in this band, and who is this band? And it's, it's like it's a new guy on drums, instead Gene of Paul, and a shit ton of other guitarists. All of the energy and exuberance and excitement that made Kiss has been kind of just drummed down into this dark, melancholic, drudging heavy metal record. Mm-hmm. Which, in another context, would be great, maybe in, a, in for another band. But and again, that's what I talk about. With I'm Danger. judging this against their own legacy. I'm only judging this against. Other Kiss albums, Mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, set alongside if this was some new band and you filed that between your Iron Maiden and Judas Priest records, right? J, K, you know, whatever, right? (laughs) H, I, J, K, blah, 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 blah. It might work. It fits. And I can see that to a degree. So you could say on that level, maybe it succeeds. But as a Kiss record, and that's what I'm talking about, it doesn't succeed. It fails miserably. Yeah. Uh, They're. Like I said, they're just clearly second-guessing themselves in the convoluted effort to be, quote-unquote, relevant. And that's the thing where they're going to fuck up, because these guys can't be relevant. KISS never was relevant. KISS exists always and eternally in its own self-contained context. They don't try to be relevant the rest of the world has to figure out the way to be relevant to them. Yeah, That's the way the original KISS worked. You, you know what I mean? They were KISS, and the rest of the world had to figure it out. Now KISS is trying to figure the rest of the world out. And it much. doesn't fucking work for them, and it never will. They're just a, you know, they're just stab following the established trends. And so, you know, like I, I said. That's all that, that they can do at this point. It's all they can do, and it's, you know. It's over, like you said. It's kind of over. Uh, so that's. That's creatures. <laughs> That's creatures of the night, but you know <laughs> the, the story doesn't. The, the story doesn't end here. We've got, of course, Bill of Coins out of the picture, so they need new management. Yep, uh, and they're unable to find anyone they liked slash. Uh, or maybe in what's in parentheses could right. afford. <laughs> yeah, could afford. Yeah. They need People to feel you know, money's tight around this time too. So <laughs> what do they do? They do probably the worst possible thing that any act could ever do and that's well we'll just manage ourselves yeah yeah well they still have glickman marks as their business managers and you know howard marks has been trying to elbow bill of coin out of the way for a long time we know this we've talked about this to a certain extent in previous episodes there's always been this sort of power struggle between the two Mm -hmm. and so what ends up happening is um they kind of take Glickman Marks, and I didn't quite understand all this that because I'm not a business guy and I don't understand this stuff. But uh, this is information I got, I think, from uh, the Chris Lint book, Kiss and Sell. Yeah. Um. Basically, they restructured the deal, which saved them 11 percent on what they had been playing paying under Bill of Coin. 
which gives, but still gives Glickman Marks uh, uh, an increase in what they earn in their commission. And their commission, of course, is of the gross income, not the net. Right. Which that's very important. And they also hire or rehire, I guess, maybe Danny Goldberg as a consultant to help update their profile for the 80s. Because we talked about how this change is coming. The 80s is like this new untapped new world. Might as well be the year 2000, right? Danny Goldberg had ran Swanson Records, and I think he had helped to a certain extent in the, around the time of Destroyer, maybe. I can't remember about now. Right. You know, and uh, then they leave American Talent International, ATI, their booking agency, and they sign with ICM, the International Creative Management. So the reason behind this apparently was because ICM was more of a a Hollywood thing. Okay. And both Paul and Gene had designs to break into acting. Mm -hmm. Paul first, believe it or not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Paul seems to think that Gene kind of jumped on his bandwagon. Yeah. He holds a little resentment on that. I yeah. think. It's like, well, either which way, that seems to be the logic as to why they left ATI, which ATI was ran by a guy named Jeff Franklin, who we've talked about in previous episodes. I mean, his name has probably popped up. Jeff Franklin helped uh, was a player in helping establish Kiss on the Road with ATI. Yeah. And and I'm sure he felt pretty betrayed by this. A guy named Wally Meyerowitz, if I'm saying his name right, I might be wrong. I don't have this written down. Was closer with uh, Paul in particular. And he's the one that jumped to ICM and persuaded them to come and mm-hmm. probably dangled, hey, and there's acting possibilities. <laughs> you know, here's a carrot. Right. And they were like, oh. <laughs> But uh, this is going to change over the course of basically, they do this in 81, actually. But by the end of the year, they're going to jump back to ATI. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, Because ICM has difficulty finding promoters willing to book a KISS tour. This is how far they've fallen in the previous three years. And uh, they're getting offers. Well, we can book them into some nightclubs and maybe some theaters if, if... Tickets look good. Yeah. And the Kiss are like, no, we're an arena Arenas. We play arenas or we don't play at all. And they think that refusing to play clubs or if they were to deign to play a club, it would hurt their image. Yeah. Which, I mean, it kind of would. Well, but would it any more so than this empty arena? An empty arena, which is what they're going to find. Ace has agreed to make promotional appearances to help preserve the idea that he's still in the band because they don't want the label to know because Kiss are identified by their record label. The band is Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, and Ace Fraley. And Ace probably wants to keep the illusion up so he can keep getting money. No, he wants he wants to be bought out and be gone. Well, yeah, but... And the, which is what they're going to do or what they've already agreed to. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they rope him back into this. I think but, it has to be money. Well, obviously, I'm sure they're paying him, but I, I imagine at this point his his work here is probably on a. I don't. That's a good point because I don't know how they do this. It had, well, obviously, he wouldn't be doing it for any other reason. I'm sure he didn't go do it for free. But I think I, his I swear it has his, to be his deal was in in. Uh, he severed his thing in June of '82. It had to be. This is purely speculation, but kind of piecing together the different things we've discussed and the different things I've heard and kind of re-researched. When Paul had that talk with Ace and was like, yo, stick around, you know, just do it for us. And he was just like, no, it's bad for my health. I need out. 
with you talking about the clauses of the record company seeing kisses gene paul and ace i think they may have had to get through one more record cycle of at least getting it out before they were even allowed to have the talks quote unquote with management about buying ace out even though they may have had an under the table deal with ace being like okay yes you are out but like if you want the money to come you gotta make believe for like a few months well i think that yeah i would think that they they agreed to that back Mm. in the summer when he announced he was leaving yeah but i think part of that deal was well can you you know we're going to put you on the cover you don't have to play on the record but can you at least do you know the videos and the promotional appearances while we get our shit together yeah he, i don't think it yeah. was even a, while we get our shit oh, together absolutely. I, was while we get our shit together they were going to need time to get their shit together well i think it was primarily they had to do all of that with ace to show he was part of the record quote unquote well, they don't to make the, sure they, they were going to be able to be in good favor when they submit the buyout it's not even a, a favor it's record company recognizes if one of the original members now leaves they're in breach of contract and that sweet deal they got both polygram mm-hmm. is gone and they have to renegotiate again which exactly. is exactly what happens yeah and because of that now they're going to be they're already made their record company angry by suing them yeah and now they've lost a key basically a, refer, a reversal of the key man clause mm-hmm. now the record company not only have they fucking pissed them off now they've lost a key man in their thing so the record company believe me they're gonna bite down fucking hard oh yeah and kiss you know hopefully they if they can pull this ruse off and go have a successful tour and have some money in the bank they're gonna have some leverage right right wrong oh <laughs> And that's why I think to this day, and a lot I've argued this with other Kiss fans, had they had no choice. If 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 in any other context, they probably would have just said, "Well, you know, we've got money in the bank. It was a good run. We want to do other things. We've got ICM. They're going to represent us. We're going to get inroads into Hollywood." Blah blah. You know, if they were in a position like that, they would have just stopped. Yeah, but they had to keep going. Kiss didn't want to keep more, going. It was more expensive it, to stop it, than to keep going. Yeah, yep. they just exactly. They were just completely. They had completely fucked themselves. There was, and that's the only re- reason why Kiss continued to exist. And every album fed the next one just to feed the next one. And they are going to get caught in this cycle of just self-sustaining. Let's just get through the next tour, the next grind, you know, until the reunion. And that's yep. you know. But otherwise, I, I don't see why they would keep doing this. There would be no reason to. They, you know, Paul could just as, as easily gone off and been a solo act. Even though he talks about how the band was like his life raft, in his words. But well, I think it was a situation think, well, of because they were still so too. tied to their identities. But, you know, that's going to change dra- dramatically over the next year. Exactly. But I think just at this exact moment, because, again, even in our own personal lives, you know how shit changes even over the course of a month, you know. So I think just at that pure point in time, he may have not even seen an out because he's still the star child, what? the guy up there with the star. You can't really run off and make that a solo thing. I think they were seeing I think they, again, with the ICM deal, I think they absolutely were looking towards a back end, like, okay, we got to look at, eventually this is going to stop. Right. You know, and so I think they were just, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's all speculation. It's all speculation, yeah. but it just seems to that. me that it, it, they've, you know, 
the very best thing they could do by the end of this deal is fucking stop, but I don't think they can. But anyway, the fall of 82, they do a lot of uh, um, promotional stuff. They do uh, the video for I Love It Loud. Yep. They do they a do, promotional uh, tour, promotional tour, not a concert tour mm-hmm. of Europe. I guess they do some TV stuff, but yeah, I can't like, find a lot about. I found about two or three TV appearances, all with Ace. And it's so funny because uh, there was one of them where they played Creatures of the Night. Uh-huh. And it's like. They zoom in on Ace for that solo, and he's just, he's shaking that guitar, yeah, kind of strumming yeah. it. It's like he's not even trying. trying yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, good on him for keeping he the ruse up. He played yeah. along. Um, the album is released either October 13th or October 28th. I don't know. I've, I've seen both dates. October 28th, according to the Wikipedia page. Yeah. Yeah. Kiss is one of those bands where they can't get their release dates right. That's That's well, been an ongoing thing in the Kiss lore is those early album release dates. Well, that's because they're not necessarily release dates. Back then, dates would be shipping dates. Nowadays, the record labels have, uh, the companies have the hard date. It's always a Tuesday for some reason. Yeah. Uh, back then, I think it, it was different. The, one of the co-writers of the Kiss Alive Forever book has a, a lot of info on that. Mm-hmm. And he likes to get in and wag his finger at people on release dates. No, that was a ship date. That wasn't an actual release date. <laughs> Which, I mean, you know, if that's your thing, you yeah. can see that. So that's why I'm saying I've seen both dates. I don't know. October 13th was a Friday the 13th. And I think it was just cooler to say yeah. it was released on Friday the 13th. But apparently, <laughs> you know, Polygram being kind of probably way too big, uh, have early pressings of Creatures of the Night where somebody accidentally allowed an engineering mistake to occur. Did y'all see this? I yes. did. I was hoping we would bring this up. John Cougar's American <laughs> Fool gets pressed on the on one side of the, now, of the uh, record. Whoops. <laughs> now, it would be like the Detroit Rock City movie. It'd be the reverse of that. Some metalhead pulling out his new Kiss record, pulling it out, puts it on side And a, it's hurt so good. <laughs> cracks open a beer, <laughs> takes a sip, and all of a sudden... <laughs> Dude, did you hear the new Kiss record? They got this song called, like, Jack and Jack Diane. Jack and Diane. It's really weird. <laughs> They're talking about sucking on They're a chili dog. They're talking about sucking on chili dogs, man. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think they meant by that? <laughs> That's one of the greatest recent memes ever. It has. But, it's uh, got a whole new life now. <laughs> they're, they're having trouble getting this, this tour put together, but eventually it comes together. They, uh, they were hoping to do about 100 dates, and they only get about 55. Oof. Which, once upon a time, that would have been a standard length for a tour, but... Uh, all the initial press material, including the ad layouts for the print ads that promoters could use for newspaper ads, all have Ace. So most people are largely unaware that Ace is no longer in the band. Um, the explanation for his absence was that he was recovering from an auto accident, which I think he did legit have an auto accident, but I think he was <laughs> no, okay also to play. wasn't the reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course, they introduce Vinnie Vincent as his substitute, not mm-hmm. as a new member yet. Because the inside baseball is he is still yet to sign still, any contract. Well, also because they don't want the record company to know that Ace is no longer in the band. They're still, this is all a ruse for the record company so they don't lose their fucking sweet contract. But they introduce him as the Wiz, not 
as the Egyptian wizard. The Ankh. Not as the Egyptian warrior. Not as the Ankh. He is Vinny the Wiz. What about... Uh, I his, think all those names came, came up. What was his uh, original uh, oh, name Oh, I thought choice? you were about to tell me. Mick Fury? Yes. <laughs> well, he wanted to be Mick Fury? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Eric Carr wanted to be Rusty Blades. Uh-huh. <laughs> Rusty Blades and Mick Fury. And then- Mick Fury would have... I don't understand what it's like at this point. It's 1982. Why not? It does because, sound a little Looney Tunes, but you know, and 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 um, is that any less eighties than Vinnie Vincent? Well, you know, if, if Paul's quip was Vincent Cusano sounded like a, an Italian grocer. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Vinnie Vincent. That's what you, that was. Okay, that's really cool. That's better. <laughs> that's yeah. So I mean, the there's you know, Vinnie Vincent is better than Mick Fury, really, <laughs> really, <laughs> really. <laughs> Jesus Christ. There it is. Great name. Um, (laughs) Slapping Ankh on his face. This is our new league attire. Jesus Christ. What the fuck? (laughs) The first scheduled show of the tour is on, uh, I think the first scheduled show was December 27th in Rapid City, South Dakota. Yep. And was canceled hours before showtime because the equipment had gotten stuck in a blizzard. I guess they had done the rehearsals and God, I you know I had this. I looked this up and handed it down, but they had it's kind of odd that they would do it in a place that was like far away from the opening date. Yeah. Um, so the first show, the first scheduled show gets canceled. The first show then gets pushed to be the next date on the tour, which is Bismarck, North Dakota on the 29th. The gear has to get retrucked and makes it, but the costumes do not. Yes, this, this is a long, fabled story. A quickie solution is made to have Pixie Esmond, their former road ran, road, wardrobe uh, manager, manager, to go to their warehouse, pull out some more costumes. Love gun. And send them. Or she took them. She yeah. flew them to uh, North Dakota, and allegedly it's their love gun costumes. So I haven't heard this story. And, and they did like and weird modifications to some of them. I don't know, but no pictures or, or any record of this exists. But allegedly, this is Vinnie Vince's first show, and he's doing it wearing Ace's love gun costume. Literally his boots. So fucking weird in the context of like everything since. And, and, and the fact that people don't realize that that's not Ace. Yeah. There's still a, a sizable quotient of the population that don't. Well, because the poster you know, does it's not, not like have there's Vinnie the internet. There's no way to know if you don't pick up a, you know, I can remember picking up a magazine and seeing a picture of him. And I think it said that he was the substitute guitar player. I can clearly remember where I was and it was at the Walden Books in Tanglewood Mall in Roanoke, Virginia. And I'm looking at this going, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> um, the attendance is only 3,200. Oof. Yeah, and like how big of an arena? Uh, normal size arena. I'm assuming most arenas. Let's just say the capacity. It said it was at forty percent capacity. It could have taken eight thousand people. Yeah, yeah, probably that's probably a seated capacity. Most arenas on you know you have your seated capacity and then you have your capacity, which they can do right. you know, like. Uh, oh, sorry. No, reported audience was between three to eight k, but forty percent capacity. Well, I've got 3,200, but it doesn't. Point is, is that most shows struggle to do better than this. Right. Uh, most arenas, they they have a seated capacity. Um, for instance, the capacity at the Bojangles Arena, the old Charlotte Coliseum here in Charlotte, is 8,000. But 
for a concert, they could squeeze 12,000 in there. I think the record was like 12-6 or something for a Hank Williams Jr. show. But, but that's with festival seating, which, of course, means the floor is open and they just shoehorn as many people as they can in. Right. So when you see capacity, you got to take that with a grain of salt because that might just be seated capacity. It yeah. might mean there's 8,000 seats, but that doesn't include just, you know. And back then, festival seating was the norm, this yeah. this you know, basically shoehorn as many people as you can in. So I think actually this review from a local uh, paper actually summarizes it perfectly. It says the rock group kiss uh, was resurrected Wednesday night at the Bismarck civic center before an audience of 3,200 mm-hmm. about three semi trailers of stage equipment were set up for the group's first concert since it broke up a few years ago. Interesting. They kind of phrased the group breaking up yeah. a few years ago. That's, that's why I also wanted to pull that. Right. Um, Boosted by about 50 amplifiers, the band played to the young Civic Center crowd, but while the sound from the band boomed, the crowd was subdued. Yeah. Well, I mean, that you got to take also with a grain of salt. That's one reviewer's opinion of what they perceived. Yeah, it but to be. that's also, but, it seems to be pretty indicative of the U.S. portion of their tour. Um, the second show is in Sioux City, Iowa. And it has drama surrounding whether or not Kiss were satanic, because this is the advent of satanic panic. And the manager of the municipal auditorium where they played had to defend the booking before the venue's board of directors. I mean, this kind of stuff seems like it's straight out of like 1950s. Yeah. And it came out of nowhere, too. Well, I think that they use this as a means of publicity. And we'll we'll get to that in a minute. But... um, because there's a lot of press coverage. If you look at this, I found there's a lot of press coverage, and you can find a lot of stuff like news stories. That a lot of this has been uploaded to YouTube. This is an unusual amount of press coverage for this tour that does nothing to help it. And most of the press seems to be negative, and a lot of it's centered around the the satanic controversy, you know, which was every band in the world at this point. Any heavy metal band was that. Well, you know, they worship the devil, right? Mm-hmm. Knights and Satan service. And Satan I think that's, service. this was the beginning of that. Ironically, also this show they don't get paid because the promoter stiffs the band and claims insolvency. So we're out. Of, I mean, this is the second date of the tour, and this is what they're up against. They, you know, um, just an omen. <laughs> I got uh, also. Let's see some other notable dates. January thirteenth, Montreal. We've referenced this a couple of times because there's a, a video that exists of almost the full show. Yeah. Um, and you get a good view of what the staging was like and the stuff they were doing. And it's a pretty good show. And I think it illustrates that the band at that point seemed to be playing with a renewed energy yeah. and intensity that, uh, you know, that I guess desperation will bring. And again, um, I still love that Gene tried to sing the second part of the second verse, yeah, and I get, love it loud. It's cut off. Uh, <laughs> C.K. Lint relates in his book that while he's standing with the promoter, the promoter notes the empty seats and goes, well, they had a good run. Life, life goes on. Yikes. Ouch. <laughs> like it's over. And it was at this show he said that? Uh, allegedly, yeah. Because that one was at 78% capacity. I know. It was a good turnout. Yeah. So that goes to show that promoter saw it as a bomb. But again, because you got to remember, the last time they played, sold out. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, you're right. Kids first, probably breaking down the door trying to get in with yeah, these sold out. You're right. And now it's just kind of like they're just – that's probably they're a lot of walk-up too. It's uh, like setting off a Roman candle now. 
The first cancellation of the tour happens on January 23rd in Providence, Rhode Island after the sales tank and the promoter honors the tickets for Providence at the Worcester, and I think I'm saying that right, Worcester, Massachusetts show, which is actually the day before this show was scheduled. Nobody pronounces that So basically he was able to uh, successfully combine two dates into one. I don't know if he had to pay a guarantee for two dates but usually there's a guarantee or a deposit i should say a non-refundable deposit he probably lost the deposit but made his money back but the fact that he could take two arena dates and what's even odder is that these two venues are only 45 minutes apart from providence rhode island because you know it's a concentrated area but back then those back in the 70s they could do that and probably sell out both shows now they so can't sell out one show off the back of another that got canceled for yeah. people to. So you know, and they weren't allowed. The, the, the other thing they weren't allowed to use their pyro at that show. I can yeah, remember no, reading about that show. as a kid. <laughs> I remember that being in a magazine as a kid where the guy Gene reviewed, couldn't even do his uh, fire breathing. I think he was able to do that. Oh, because the, the note in here, because I was uh, pulling it up, said that uh, there's footage of Gene being held, uh, handed a piece of paper saying that he was yep right here uh a january 20th tv clip on channel 27 indicates that gene was prevented by city and state fire codes from performing his fire breathing routines and using other pyro was that for worcester yeah worcester whatever worcestershire here in the south cecil corbett who did cnc entertainment and promoted the kiss shows i went to go see i think he was with a company called beach club at the time he cancels his three dates, uh, which were February 6th, 8th, and 9th, before they were even announced. And I don't know if he just loses a deposit or how that works, but he doesn't even... They, they have the, sh- the dates as temp hold dates, but they're never put on sale. No one are never announced or put on sale. Jesus. This creates a six-day hole in the middle of their itinerary here. Mm, mm-hmm. This God, isn't going to be the first time this happens. This is This is like just kind of jaw-dropping stuff here. I mean, uh, February 18th, Minneapolis. Oh, man, I meant to look these guys' names up. These Evangelist Brothers, the Peters Brothers. I don't know why I just remember that. I was going to say, I just had that pulled up. I was ready for you. They they organize a protest of the concert, and it results in a backstage face-to-face meeting between them and the band, which gets aired on local TV. Oh, I no. can remember reading these guys' books when I was a kid because my mom was, like, of course, vehemently against Kiss, very religious. And, you know, just reading these books, and you're just, like, cross-eyed looking at the stupid shit that yeah. they come up with. but. You know, the band, I think, sees this as publicity. Any publicity is good publicity. And so they obviously, they, they're like, well, let's just talk to these guys face to face. I'm sure yep. it was their idea. Let's get a camera. Not that it works, because I think, what I forget what the attendance for that was, but I think it wasn't much more than 42% five grand. 42% Yeah, filled. I mean, it's just like, none of this is working. And Interesting they, opening act. Plasmatics. plasmatics. I was going to oh, say, wow. <laughs> I was going to get into that, because... Um, it's a cool flyer, too. Plasmatics are most... That is a pretty cool flyer. Plasmatics Love open that. most of these shows. Uh, February 19th, the very next day in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, the attendance is only 2,020. Yeah. I think that's the 25%. show where Paul makes the famous quip about being able to throw his pick and it just goes over the heads of everybody and lands on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> 2,000 yeah. people in an arena. The whole you know, Again, whatever the capacity is, I'm sure they could they could cram 12,000 people. Any average arena, would you could cram probably ten to 12,000 people. 2,000 people? 
Like that uh, literally gave me goosebumps trying to imagine that's oh. February twenty third, Cobo Hall in Detroit. There there that is their basic basically you could say that's home base, right? Yeah, yep. The, 7, this is, they draw 7,600 people in, in this arena. Their previous show in Detroit was at the Silver Dome in 1979 that drew over 35,000. God. Their previous Kobo shows were in, were in 1977, a two-night sold-out stand on January 27th and 28th, both nights sold out. Here they're coming back five years later, six years later. It's over. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. just, you know, I'm it's just, it you know. And then we've got another big uh, gap uh, from March 1st to 9th with no shows. Cause, uh, yeah, um, eight open days. That's what I've got now. Yep. But uh, February, real quick, February 27th, though, this is, illustrates why promoters don't want them. February 27th, Kill Auditorium, St. Louis, Missouri. Attendance, 2,800. <sighs> I'm in the looking. Keel Auditorium, one of the strongholds of Midwestern hard rock, Rust Belt. You know, these are the these are the cities that built Kiss. And it says this band uh, turned this poorly attended show into a benefit concert. Oh no! Yes, for uh, baby Amy Lynn Harden, who was in dire need of a liver transplant, whose family didn't have the. Uh, $175,000 needed. Amy received the transplant on May 10th, but passed away February 22nd, 1988 in Illinois, exactly five years to the date of the Kiss concert. Wow, that's sad. Thanks for sharing. I didn't know it was going to go that deep with it when I started reading it. Well, I guess we can just tear all this down and go home now. <laughs> Point is, Kiss did a good thing for a little girl. Well, they did. <laughs> and which actually, unfortunately, they've kind of admitted later on was publicity things also oh, to, con- sure. to counteract Absolutely. the Satan I'm shit. Sure, yeah. And they say not all heroes wear capes. Kiss does. <laughs> San Francisco at the Civic Auditorium, not 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 the Oakland Arena or the Cow Palace. They're playing someplace called the Civic Auditorium. Not exactly one of the strong, or at least not one I'm familiar with. Uh, attendances. This is the final show of the tour, April fourth. They're um, the U.S. tour, which is really all they do outside of the South America. We'll get into that here in a second. Uh, this is their final show in the United States with makeup until the reunion. Yep. So the this reunion. is again, a, it, you know, a, we've t- we've used the term end of an era, but this really truly, truly was. They mm-hmm. all were end of era, but this kind of really caps it. Um, we've talked about. You just mentioned uh, plasmatics open most of the shows. They, it's interesting to note they're not as confrontational or sexually explicit as they had been previously, and they're trying to make waves in the heavy metal circles. They had been largely largely regarded as a punk band prior. They did not see themselves ever as a punk band, but that's how they were perceived. And I think they were probably still perceived as such and probably you know had a hard time uh, making inroads, and that's why they took this KISS tour, because it was probably one of the better opportunities they had. I like the Plasmatics very much. Mm-hmm. I think they're really underrated and underappreciated. Um, and Gene Simmons wound up making uh, or producing one of their albums and, later on, yeah, right? Yeah, ended up producing well, well, Wendy O'Wim's solo record. Oh, it was Wendy O'Wim's, gotcha. Um, Night Ranger opens uh, several shows, and it's interesting, like we mentioned earlier, they were signed to Boardwalk. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Vinnie Vincent at one point initially on the tour was using a violin bow during his guitar solo. Trying to be fucking Jimmy Page. Which, I mean, that's some ballsy move to make because oh, that's yeah. like a signature thing. It's like, it's not like it's a unique or, you know, whatever, but that's Jimmy Page's shit. Man. Yeah. You know? You oh, know? yeah. That would be like some, you know, I don't it's know. It's like if I went out in a schoolboy uh, outfit and didn't play ACDC songs. And of course, <laughs> the last five shows of the tour on the West Coast, they have an un, a, a young, unknown band called Motley Crue. Motley Crue will greatly benefit from Kiss over the next year in other ways, but we'll talk about that on another episode. Um, at some point, like I said, they jump back from uh, ICM to uh, ATI. And the reasoning now is that ATI had the better reputation and power with promoters. And there's also this $100,000 advance that had been put as a deposit for Argentinian, da- Argentinian dates. Mm-hmm. And that was in dispute, and they didn't have a way to resolve it. And now if they go back to ATI, everything's even, and then unlocks that dispute without any kind of uh it it resolves it in the band's favor okay so now they've got to set up this south american tour (laughs) um which is a story in and of itself we don't have the time to go into it all here well but let's more dates were canceled than played but they play one of the biggest shows maybe the biggest show they ever would play uh, up to that point. Up for to sure. that point, that was the Rio show, right? Mar- yes. American American non. I can't even say this words. American yeah, Mar- non. American Yeah. American And this is the one that's on. Uh, I can say it. No, I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> is it this one or the Sao Paulo one that's on the uh, DVDs and on uh, YouTube? I, I'm, not, I'm, not I'm pretty sure, it's, sure. I'm pretty sure the Rio one is the one that gets that's, circulated the well, most. But the Sao Paulo show is the final show in makeup and costumes until yeah. 1996. Okay. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It is the Rio show that's on. Kisology. But they have dates for Argentina that are scheduled for August 19th, 20th, and 21st. And these dates are canceled after threats from terrorist groups. I saw that at the bottom of this list, too. One is called the Free Fatherland National Nationalist Commando. Free Fatherland Nationalist Commando. Okay. They, they issue a statement claiming that they would use, quote, all means at their disposal, unquote, to stop the shows. Whew. They also call the groups, they call the group, quote, degenerate Anglo Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> And then say, quote, we'll go as far as to cost the, the very lives of the members of that unfortunate band, unquote. <laughs> wow. Like degenerate uh, Anglo-Yankees is going to be my next punk band. Yeah, it's so great. <laughs> <laughs> Another organization called, I don't even, I can't even say this, Captain Gia, I don't know if it's Gia Chino or Gia Chine, I don't know. Anyway, this other <laughs> other terrorist organization threatened to blow up the stadium into quote a thousand pieces if the group were to perform. Uh, excuse me, sir. Last time you blew something up, that was only nine hundred and seventy-eight. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, it, it's we, we're going to say this band. Are they really a band? I mean, they got two new guys that are extremely competent musicians. But do they bring anything? And they and like I said, they're playing with a renewed energy and intensity. But is this really a band, you know, because are they bringing anything stylistically substantial to the mix? 
Meaning it takes more than academics. Could they have gotten anybody to fill those roles and play those songs competently and, and, and with the same, you know, with that same intensity? Probably so. Yeah. But they're not the band. That's not the chemistry that made the band work. No, nope. it's two. It's Paul and Gene and two uh, hired guys. And, one um, that's and barely really, one that's even hired. Yeah, one that's not being very confrontational on the road with him, too. Well, we'll talk about that more later. At this point, I don't think that's come into play yet. A little bit. The extending the solos. He's already starting to do that. Well, some. he's trying to claim ground as his own. And mm-hmm. I think he's trying, in his mind, he's looking to put himself in position to become an equal partner. Yeah. That's going to be what the point of contention is. That's what's never addressed in the and revisionist that's why he history won't sign of Kiss, the contract. which makes why he won't eventually come to terms with these guys because they want him to be an employee, and I think he wants to be a full member, which makes sense. And if you look at, we'll, we'll talk more about the whole Vinny thing in the next episode. Uh, there's a very uh, important and perhaps the most dramatic change yet to be made, which we will also talk about in the next episode. Very obvious, but we'll leave that with a teaser anyway. Right. Um, there was something else I was going to, you, you touched on something. I was like, save it for a minute. And then now I've done already forgotten it. Oh, the uh, costuming. No, no. Uh, the only thing I mentioned was uh, Steve Ferris. Mm, that was something else, but oh, I've already forgotten. Well, speaking of the costuming though, isn't it weird that Paul on a, uh, at least the cell, the uh, Brazil date that's on uh, YouTube and all the DVDs, wears a blue kiss t-shirt with all the, uh, the, the face paint all, Oh, uh, he's wearing just cover. one of the tour he's shirts. Yeah. yeah, he's wearing just a, just a tour T-shirt. It's good yeah. advertising. Well, I think if Paul, Paul wear it, I will too. I think Paul's trying to, you know, I think that's a power move by Paul to try to steer the band into a more casual kind of look. Meanwhile, Gene still got his full, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, leather and uh, you know, uh, I don't chains know, costume I mean, and all I, that. Too. I, I can't even begin to speculate what the reasoning behind that was. That's the best I can come up with. I just Again, always thought Paul's that looked, the one that's want to move away from the theatrics. Yeah, I always thought that just looked odd, but yeah, that's a good point. But again, what do we got here? At the end of this, this this entire tour cycle has been a monumental failure. This is, uh, again, they've lost their lawsuit with their record company. Now the record company knows the ace is out. They're coming in to take their bite. Um, actually, I think... So yeah, let's just close it with this. Polygram uh, has to go to the table to re-sign with Polygram. Why? Polygram agrees to many of the same parts of their original deal, but their biggest change is their upfront advantages are slashed. But this deal is offered basically as a take it or leave it scenario. And knowing they could not do any better or even as good with anyone else, they take it. It's a desperation play. Everything yeah. they're doing is desperation play. And it reeks of it. And Kiss, of course, is now the, the, the Kiss is redefined now as Gene and Paul. Gene and Paul are Kiss and will be until this very day. And anyone else is a hired hand. Whereas, you know, prior Kiss was four, four, guys. Members, four guys. So this isn't even really a band anymore. It is very much a corporation and not a successful one at that. No. <laughs> it would seem to me, you know, the smart thing to do if they, and they can't because there's no money in their, you know, in the bank at this point. But if they had had money in the bank, I can almost, I'd be willing to bet this would have been like, okay, time to go. But they can't. So now they got to make another record and try to make the best out of it. Mm-hmm. There's only one but, thing they can do to kind of make any form of waves whatsoever. And was that is that a right decision to make? But we'll discuss all that 
on the next episode of No Time to Turn. And hopefully you guys will join us as uh, more drama unfolds. Yes. Join us for the next exciting chapter of No Time to Turn. <laughs> and until then, I'm Russ. And for Captain Alex, we'll see you next time. Good night! Thank you for listening. Please insert another coin by supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash somethinggoodnetwork.